It's good to see all of you. Thanks for uh, joining us this morning. Come on in and, and find your way in and take your seat. Thanks for joining us at Trinity Bible Church. Uh, we have gathered here this morning to worship our God, and we're going to worship God in the name of Jesus. It's his name that we proclaim this morning. And uh, we want to worship God through song. We're going to worship God in the way that we, uh, we open his word, worship God through prayer. So come and find your seat and prepare your hearts for worship, because it's good when we get here to, uh, to reconnect and have fellowship, that's a very important part of what the church is called to be and to do. Because, you know, the reason that we gather, of course, is to worship God, but a part of that in our reconnection with the Lord, but with each other, to remember that we are in this together, amen? That we are to live the Christian life, not alone, but together in community, and so we're reminded of that when we gather in the same space because we know that we need each other to be encouraged and, and to be challenged. And when we get to tell stories about what God is doing in our lives individually, that we're reminded, yes, God is alive and well and he is active and we see what he's doing and how he's blessing others and we're reminded of how he is blessing us. So this morning, we're going to worship God. We're going to uh, come and give our offering of sacrifice, of praise to him. But also remember this, church, remember this, that we can be real with God. You know what I mean? He is a real God. He is a personal God. He is the God of the universe, but he is also the God who created us and knows us and loves us. And so, please, as, as I read from the scriptures now and are called to worship, and as I Pray us into a time of, of uh, praise through song. Remember that God will meet you right where you are, and you can be real with God. Feel free to worship as the Spirit leads you. You can raise your hands in worship. You can sing real loud, or you can stand still with your eyes closed and listen to those around you singing. However you are led to worship, but that is what we will do now. I would like to read to you from Isaiah chapter 12, a prophetic passage of scripture about the return of Messiah in particular. But listen to these words and let these words from the Holy Scriptures be our call to worship God together this morning. Isaiah chapter 12. For you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. For behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Let's stand together, church, and pray. Father, we thank you for your powerful word. Yes, the name of Jesus, 
The name of Jesus is to be lifted high and exalted always, but Father, we want to do that now as your people, as your church. For you love us more than we can ever know or understand. So Lord, this time now is for you, yet we know you will bless us through it. But we have come to give, not to receive. So now, Lord, we want to bless your name. For great is your name, we want to proclaim the goodness and majesty of you, our God. We do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's worship the Lord together now.
Oh 
It's so good to worship the Lord. We can give him a hand one more time. We praise the Lord. Father God, thank you for a sweet time of worship. Jesus, for you alone are worthy. Praise and honor unto you. Praise and honor unto you. God, may we always be found worshiping you and giving you praise with our lips, Lord Jesus, for you alone are worthy. We thank you, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Say good morning to somebody next to you in the name of the Lord Jesus.
Well, if we can uh, find our way back to our seats, you find your way back to your seat and um, we'll enter into our time of opening God's Word together. It's an important part of what we do as the church. You know, it, uh, it tells us in the book of Acts, chapter 2, uh, verses 42 and 47, it tells us that the early church, the very first the gathering of believers, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And so uh, the early church did what we're doing today. We are in line with that ancient church. And so we fellowship as we were just doing, uh, and we uh, are devoted to the teachings of God's word. And so we'll have the word of God open to us in just a moment. But uh, just remember here at Trinity that we have three words that are very important to us. They are part of our core values that together we learn and we grow and we serve. And we do that because that's how we pursue being disciples of Jesus. A disciple is a follower. So we want to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus. And so we learn the truth, we grow in our faith, and then we serve. We serve each other. It starts in this room, and then we serve the community and the world around us. And, you know, part of how we get to serve is by partnering with uh, missionaries, missionaries that go to places and to meet with people groups that normally maybe we wouldn't have contact with and the people that are, that are called to do that specifically. And so at the end of the summer, we will have uh, the Lathams with us and Sharon and Aaron Latham. And uh, they are missionaries of ours that we support in Brazil. If you remember a few years ago, there was a group of us that went and got to uh, help them minister in Brazil. But they are here in the States for the year and uh, just gaining support and going around and, and, and uh, visiting, supporting churches, letting them know what God has been doing there in Brazil. And so at the end of the summer, they will come and be with us for a couple of weeks. We're blessed by that because here at Trinity, we have missions um, that reach around the world. So we support global missions, but also, very importantly, local missions. And this morning, uh, we're privileged to have back um, Scott Schwartz. He will be bringing the word to us this morning, a message from God's word. And he is one of our local missionary partners. And he is with an organization called Life in Messiah. And they are specifically focused on bringing the gospel to the Orthodox Jewish community. And a few years ago, Scott and his family, had uh, they made the move from Brooklyn to here to minister to the Orthodox uh, community right in our, uh, our backyards in Lakewood, right? And uh, how about that, going from Brooklyn then to Lakewood, right? And so uh, we love supporting him. He's been here many times, um, but uh, we're always blessed to have him. And uh, it's, it's, as many of you know, it's quite a unique and uh, difficult mission field, right? When we talk about a mission field, we talk about going to a people group that have maybe a specific culture and a specific identity. And part of being a missionary is you need to learn about the culture and their language and the way that they live and the way that they, they worship in their way so that we can bring the good news, the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ to them. And uh, so what a privilege it is for us, church. I want to make sure we stop for a moment and think about that that we can partner so closely 
with a local missionary, as we do globally, but a local missionary to, um, to our Jewish friends in Lakewood. And so, Brother Scott, Scott Schwartz, I'm going to ask that you would come up, and we just want to give him a round of applause. And, you know, um, yeah, you haven't said a word yet, but we're still thankful. We're so thankful for you being here and that we get to partner with you. So, Lord, bless you. And Bring the word to us this morning, brother. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And Keith is now praying that I don't mess up. No. <laughs> Joking. Good morning. Shalom. Excellent. You're working on your Hebrew as, as normal. But uh, a lot of you know who I am. Some of you don't. After I'm done preaching, many of you might say, oh my gosh, I wish I didn't meet him. I'm joking. But uh, today, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Today is the Feast of Shavuot. Raise your hand if you're familiar with the Feast of Shavuot. How about the Feast of Pentecost? How about Acts chapter 2? God's promise to Israel that he would pour out his spirit, spoken of in the prophet Joel or Joel, where he would pour out his Holy Spirit on the entire world. Um, That happened in Acts chapter 2. But in Leviticus 23, this is not part of my message, this is free information. In Leviticus 23, God goes through the feasts of Israel. So a personal study for yourself, Leviticus 23 goes through all the feasts of Israel. There's three spring and three fall. There are three pilgrim feasts where the, God had commanded the Jewish people to go to Jerusalem. They are Pesach, Passover, in the fall, the Feast of Tabernacles, You guys will have to all come over to my house and eat in the sukkah. That's another Bible study for another time. But the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost was a feast that God had commanded the Jewish people to go up. And uh, there's days, there's numbers counted, 50. Shavuot means weeks. They were to count 50 weeks to count the Omer. Now, all this doesn't mean a lot to us. It's as an agricultural society. Um but it was the first spring harvest. So God had said, stop, count, have a harvest, and present that to me. And along with that presentation of of the offering of the harvest was bulls and goats. It was a bloody scene. But the purpose of this was for God to have his people stop, take stock of his provision, and to worship them, worship him. So today is the Feast of Shavuot. It started last night. So today is a great day for you to go into Lakewood. Why? Because nobody's driving, right? It's a three-day special. You had yesterday, which is Shabbos. Tomorrow, today is Shavuot. And then tomorrow is Shavuot. I was in the community yesterday uh, visiting a friend of mine. I was actually in an Orthodox shul yesterday afternoon. I was with some friends celebrating the Shabbat. This afternoon, we have a gathering where we will celebrate Shavuot. We'll have a Kiddush. We'll have a little blessing of the fruit of the vine. We'll have some challah bread. You're supposed to eat meat and drink a little bit of the fruit of the vine and celebrate God's goodness. So go through Lakewood today. It's an easy drive. But this morning, I want us to look at God's plan of evangelism. So God's plan of evangelism. If you have your Bible or your smartphone, 
Please open up to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at verse 26 through 40. And I'm going to pray real quick as we open God's word. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this holiday. Father, we're mindful of the Feast of Shavuot. We're mindful that as we celebrate now, 120,000 Jewish people in Jackson, Tom's River, and Lakewood are celebrating. They have a zeal for you, but it's not according to knowledge. We pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit like you did in the book of Acts in chapter 2, that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit today, that you would reveal that Jesus is the promised Messiah of Israel. We pray that you would warm our hearts today through your word, that you would inspire us, encourage us, and equip us. We ask your blessing, knowing that you're going to do this very thing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So evangelism, how to do it, what not to do. Start out with a little story. Can you imagine a stretched out tightrope, a quarter of a mile long, spanning the breadth of the Niagara Falls? Think about that in your mind. The thundering sound of the pounding water, drowning out all other sounds as you watch a man step onto the rope and walk across. This stunning feat made by Charles Blondin made him famous in the summer of 1859. He walked 160 feet above the falls several times back and forth between Canada and the United States as a huge crowd on both sides looked on with shock and awe. I don't know about you, but as I'm thinking about the story, my knees are shaking and it's not because I'm preaching. I'm visualizing this in my head and I'm looking down, whoa. Think about it. Let's take ourselves there. Once he crossed in a sack, once on stilts, Another time on a bicycle, and he even once carried a stove and cooked an omelet. Made to order. What do you want? Onions? little cheddar? On July 15th, Bolden walked across that same type rope to Canada and returned, pushing a wheelbarrow. The blonded story is told that after he was pushing a wheelbarrow across, while blindfolded, that Blondin asked for some audience participation. The crowds watched. They ooed and they awed. He had proven that he could do it. That was no doubt. But now he was asking for a volunteer to get into the wheelbarrow and take a ride across the falls with him. He asked his audience, do you believe I can carry a person in this wheelbarrow? Of course, the crowd, crowd shouted. Yes, we believe. It was then that Bolden posed the question, who then will get in to the wheelbarrow? Sharing the gospel with an unbeliever can be very scary, right? We're honest, we raise our hands, we would all say, sharing the gospel with an unbeliever can be very very scary. Following the Lord into the unknown can be a very frightening thing, yes? In our text this morning, we'll, we're going to look at an ordinary man named Philip, a man like me or you, me or you, or a woman. Be all-inclusive this morning. I don't want to get yelled at. 
You didn't include me. My name's Stacy. Okay. Stacy and Mary were all included. He called Philip to do amazing things as he followed the Lord into the unknown. So Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. If you have your Bible or your smartphone, follow along with me. I'd love for you to look at the text. It's not up there, but it's in your Bible or your smartphone. And Acts 8 says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, a queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading the Isaiah, reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you were reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. It's from Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before his shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch then asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Astos and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. In this wonderful narrative, this wonderful story that we have before us by God's grace, we see three things in this passage, three important things for us as followers of Jesus. We see three things. We see Philip listened to the Lord. We see that Philip was led by the Lord. And yes, you guessed it. Here comes the third L. Philip was a light for the Lord. So Philip listened to the Lord, Philip was led by the Lord, and Philip was a light for the Lord. So in any passage of scripture, we need to look at what's going on previous and what's going on after. But most importantly, we want to look at what's going on ahead of this passage of scripture. And this story takes place earlier in Acts chapter 8. And we notice a few things in Acts chapter 8. You can read it on your own in the beginning of 8. But Paul, who was then called Saul, 
was making havoc of the church and was persecuting believers. He was an Orthodox Jew. He had studied under Rabbi Gamaliel, and he hated the way. He hated the followers of Jesus. I would assume that there are a few Sauls in Lakewood this morning, and when they, I see them, I run. No, I don't run. I turn around and I try to engage. But there are still Sauls today in our generation As a result of the persecution of the church, it says Saul was making havoc of the church and persecuting believers. Verse 4 says that they were scattered as a result of the persecution. But that didn't stop these disciples. It says that they went everywhere preaching the gospel. Philip at this point is being used greatly by the Lord. It says that he went from the city of Samaria to preach the gospel. In Samaria, the Samaritans were called half-breeds. Why is that important? Well, they were a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles that were intermarried. I guess you would call me a Samaritan because I have a lovely Gentile wife named Corey. If you've met Corey, you might say, what are you doing with him? But here it was. They were in Samaria. Now, Orthodox Jewish people, religious Jewish people, weren't to be near Gentiles. So if you hear in the Gospels, if you're reading, it says that many people went around Samaria as they traveled back and forth to Jerusalem. But not these guys, not Philip and his other disciples. As I mentioned, it's frowned upon by the religious Jewish community to intermarry with a Gentile. It's still this way today. Every Jewish mother wants their son to marry a nice Jewish girl, right? Sometimes I would bring home a nice Gentile girl, which I wasn't supposed to, and my mom would whisper, Ain't she Jewish? I said, no, mom, but she's nice. Get over it. It says this, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, and the multitudes were with them with one accord, and they heeded the things spoken by Philip. So here's what's going on. They are fleeing persecution. They are scattered. They find themselves in Samaria. And Philip is preaching the gospel to the Samaritans. And it says... And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Philip was preaching the gospel. He was saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Jesus died. He was buried and he rose again, according to the scriptures. And hearing and seeing the miracles that he did, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed And the lame were healed. And the text tells us, and there was great joy in that city. Amen. If you saw someone healed, if you saw someone bound by demons that were set free, you would rejoice. Amen. There was great joy in that city as a result of what God is doing in their their midst. God was using Philip in Samaria. And then all of a sudden, he directs him to go south from Jerusalem to Gaza. As we see in our text, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, verse 26, go south 
to the road, not just any road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So here we see our first point. We see that Philip listened. Second point was led by the Lord. The angel said, go. Okay. They're doing all kinds of wonderful things up here in Samaria. God is moving. Demons are being, people are being delivered. People are being healed. The gospel's going out here. People are being set free. They're having their sins forgiven. Some of you know one of my contacts. His name is Russell. You can pray for Russell. Russell was Orthodox for 23 years. Forgive me if I've told you this story uh, before, but Russell, 23 years in Orthodox Judaism. And uh, I met him through a mutual friend and uh, we were chatting. Uh, he resisted the gospel because he was Jewish. Lots of objections. He winds up in Florida on New Year's Eve at a large church on New Year's Eve and winds up calling me. Now, before we had talked, he was battling me back and forth, back and forth. He tells me, hey, Scott, I just want to let you know that my cousin Santel lives in England and she keeps pressuring me to talk to you. So I'm just letting you know, I told her, if I talk to you, will you stop bothering me? And she says, yeah, so here's my one shot. Good luck if you hear from me after tonight. Well, God was working in his life, and we talked three or four times, lots of uh, debating and, and bantering and me trying to persuade. And I just was like, Lord, he's not ready. He's not ready. And I just, I put him to the side. I said, Lord, you deal with him. He calls me on New Year's Eve. A few days later, he's like, I just got back from Florida. I'm like, great. I'm thinking, you sound really excited. He's like, yeah, I can believe it. I found myself in a church. I'm like, did the, you know, roof fall in? No, no, it didn't fall in. He's like, but I felt something. I'm like, really? Like, I felt this peace. I'm like, really? It's like, they gave the gospel just like you had shared with me. It started to make sense. I'm like, Lord, you're doing only what you can do. He hangs up the phone. I don't hear from him for two more months. And this is what, this is what it's like with an Orthodox Jew. Have you ever tried to feed deer? Don't because they'll kick you, but they're very skittish. They, you give them the food, they come in, and you read, oh, Lord, Lord, like peekaboo. So you just have to kind of ride it out. But he winds up calling me back a few months later, and uh, he says, man, things are really taking a turn in my, in my business, in my life, and now we have COVID, and people are getting sick, and I'm very frightened. Uh, and I said, well, you know, you should come to our Messianic congregation. He comes to our Messianic congregation. He spends the whole Saturday afternoon. We read through the Gospel of John. He's asking all kinds of questions. He goes home. Following week, COVID shuts down. So he texts me. And I remember sitting at my dining room table on the first weekend of the shutdown where everybody was shut down. And we talked over WhatsApp. And I went through the gospel. Do you believe that Jesus died? Do you believe that he buried? Do you believe that he rose again? Do you believe that Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Psalm 16, all speaks about the coming of the Messiah? He says, yes. And I said, what would prevent you from saying yes to Jesus right now over the phone? He said, nothing. And I prayed with him to receive Jesus, the Messiah, and it was quiet. It was silent after he prayed. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm praying. And 
I said, it looks like you're thinking about something, Russell. What's going on in your mind? And he says, Scott, I feel like the weight of the world has just fallen off my shoulders. In that moment, he was born again and set free. He experienced God's very presence. Amen? Amen. So the angel of the Lord says to Philip, go. Philip doesn't argue or fuss. God didn't give him all the details. He just said, go. You know, it's often said you can't steer a parked car, right? You have to be moving. As we hear the voice of God, God tells us to go. Then is our responsibility to be obedient and then go forward. If God says go, you go. And he reveals his path and plan as we step out in faith. As he goes, the text says. Also notice that the angel says go south to a desert road. You can only imagine here what Philip is thinking. What's the scene? So a few days earlier, he's in Samaria, right? I mean, there's joy. They're celebrating. They're saying hallelujah. Demons are being delivered. People are being healed. And God says, now go. So he goes from a tremendous situation to tumbleweeds. He's now on a desert road. There's nothing but dust. And dirt. And if we settle into the emotions of Philip, he's a guy just like me or you, and he's probably thinking, What in the world am I doing here? God, why did you tell me to go south? Notice the text tells us that he tells him to go, but doesn't give him any other instructions, right? He says, Go now south from Jerusalem to Gaza and follow the desert road. And what does it say? It says that Philip went. There was no plan B. God did not give him a full blueprint of first build the foundation, then we're going to build the walls on the first floor. There's going to be three bathrooms on this first floor, then a second floor. He just says, go. We can only imagine what Philip is thinking. Signs and wonders are happening, and God says, go to the desert road. He must be thinking to himself, God, what are you doing here, but he goes anyway. If God says go, you go, and God will reveal his path and plan as we step out in faith. In Philip's life, we see such humility and obedience and faith in Philip. Isaiah 50 verse 5 says this, the sovereign Lord has spoken to me and I have listened. I have not rebelled or turned away. As Philip was following the Lord, he just so happened to stumble upon a chariot with an Ethiopian eunuch who had been reading the prophet Isaiah. Now God starts to color in the black and white sketch, right? Now the puzzle's being put together. Philip must be thinking, what's going on? This is a desert road. I can kick tumbleweeds as I go down this road. Why aren't I back in Samaria where God was doing all this wonderful thing? And then God brings Part two of the story, he stumbles upon an Ethiopian eunuch who had just so happened to be reading the prophet Isaiah. Trinity Church, it was common in that day to read scripture out loud. It's very common to be in public and to read out loud. I don't think they read silently at that day. Many scholars say that this was the common occurrence. 
It was common in that day to read out loud. So Philip hears the reading of scripture. And again, he not only listens to the Lord, but he is led by the Lord. The text says the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. He tells him to go south. He goes. He tells him to go near the chariot. God is positioning him. He's listening. He's being led. And he hears the prophet Isaiah reading. Now he comes upon this chariot and there's an Ethiopian eunuch seated there. The author of Acts is Luke and Luke does not, one scholar says, Luke does not mention the religious background of the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian had come to Jerusalem and to the temple to worship. And he had a copy of Isaiah with him. Not something to easily obtain in those days. This suggests that this Ethiopian eunuch had been a God-fearer or a proselyte, a, someone that had converted to following the God of Israel. Only the most well-to-do had chariots in those days, but the Ethiopian was one who had one. Reading the prophet Isaiah, considering the high standing of this official, it would have required some boldness for Philip to obey the Spirit's command to go to the chariot. Since people almost always read out loud in those days, Philip heard him reading one of the, one of the most popular and favorite messianic passages of the early church. Philip's question about whether the eunuch understood what he was reading got the response that he needed to share the good news with him. Philip asks the eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? Now, I like Philip because Philip's really bold, right? As we step back and we look at the humanness of this situation, <laughs> here is Philip on a desert road kicking tumbleweeds. There's nothing but dirt and dust. Now there's this swanky chariot, like a limo with tinted windows, all swagged out probably if we were in today's world. It's a gorgeous chariot. It just appears. And Philip decides to engage. My kids, I love embarrassing my kids. Because if I'm all fired up and God opens a door and I, I feel like maybe someone would need to hear an encouraging word, like God loves you, right? Or I, I just try to find a segue to share the gospel. Maybe I'm at the shop right and... I have this funny look on my face and my kids are like, oh boy, here he goes. He's going to talk to Mary as we're cashing out. He's going to try to share Jesus with them. The kids are like, I'm in the car, dad. <laughs> Come back and listen and learn. But that's wild, right? Philip is going to just ask him, do you understand what you're reading? I mean, how crazy is this? How crazy is this? How can I? The Ethiopian eunuch says, unless someone explains it to me. So right here we have before us every evangelist's greatest dream. They ask, do you understand what you're reading? And then there's an invitation to share, right? If you have a heart for evangelism, I know this cat does. If you have a heart for evangelism, this is every evangelist's greatest dream. Verse 35 says, and Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about 
Jesus. This comes to our third point. First, Philip was listening to the Lord. Philip was led by the Lord. And Philip here becomes a light for the Lord. Explain this to me. And this passage that is being read is Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is one of my favorite passages. Um, my daughter, I'll brag on her. She has memorized Isaiah 53 word for word. And uh, it is a very clear picture of the Messiah. And we have some literature from Life of Messiah that has Isaiah 53 printed on a trifold. I think there used to be some on the table. But Isaiah 53 is so clear. It's such a clear picture of the Messiah that when we hand this track out in Brooklyn, when we were in Brooklyn, they would take it, they'd see that it was Hebrew, kind of like they think it's smoke and, re, smoke and mirrors. They see it's Isaiah 53. They see it's Hebrew. They think, oh, this is a little teaching. This is a Parsha from one of the rabbis. And they get over here and they start reading it. No one tells them what it is. It's just in Hebrew. And they start reading Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? The arm of the Lord has been revealed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And we've had them turn around and come back and say, get out of here with this New Testament literature. This is about that man, Jesus. And we say, you're right, it is. What is it doing stuck right in the middle of your Bible? It's such a clear picture that they realize this is about the Messiah. It's speaking of crucifixion. And then they are blown away when we tell them that it is what it is, that it's actually about Jesus. And it's from their Hebrew Bible. They can't, they're so flustered, they just walk away. So this is a clear passage about the Messiah. So then the Ethiopian eunuch says about, his, about this passage, he says, is the prophet speaking of himself or of someone else? So his question about the identity of it in verse 34 becomes a launching pad for Philip's telling him of the good news of Jesus. When you boil it down, the gospel is simple, Trinity. Isaiah 53 John 3.16, Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again according to the scripture. And then Jesus ascends to the right hand of his Father in heaven. Romans 10 says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Trusting God into the unknown can be very, very scary. But remember, as you do personal evangelism, God is with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 119.105 says this, when we are launching out and trusting God to go places where we are afraid to go, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God speaks to us and God directs us. We as followers of Jesus should listen for the Lord. We should then be led by the Lord. And then we have an opportunity and privilege to be a light for the Lord. 
our calling as messengers of the gospel. Much of the evangelism in the early church was done by lay people who shared their faith wherever they went. This is implied in Acts chapter 8, where Luke says that all except the apostles were scattered. In Acts chapter 6, it says that the apostles were, so much was happening in the church that they needed to separate people, deacons, to take care of widows, to take care of people that were needing things. And they appointed Philip to be a deacon. Philip at this point is just a lay person, but we see in Acts 8 that God launches him out from small things to do great things for God. Amen? There's no excuse for any of us to listen to the Lord's voice, to be led by God's voice, and by God's grace and power to be a light for God's voice. So this implies in Acts 8 where Luke says that all except the apostles were scattered and that those that had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The public preacher stayed at home while lay people went out and witnessed for Messiah. That was the model of the early church. The lay people were going out scattered abroad to preach the gospel. We often hear it said that a key to personal witness is spirit-led boldness. My mentor always says, it's not try harder to do better. I got to try harder. I can't, I have such an anger problem. I can't fix myself. I can't fix myself, but I can ask the Lord, God, let me be patient. And I don't like that because then he brings things into my life to test my patience or to give me patience. So spirit-led boldness, one scholar says, some claim that they do not have this boldness and therefore cannot witness. In reality, much of Christian witness inspired by spirit-led boldness begins with the decision to be obedient to the call to witness. If we take the first step of, of obedience, the spirit will guide us and equip us with that boldness. We often miss out on opportunities to witness simply because we do not take the first step to turn a conversation into a witnessing opportunity. Obedience to the Great Commission and to the prompting of the Spirit is the key that unlocks the release of the Spirit into our lives and transforms us into being witnesses with Spirit-led boldness. Practical evangelism. How do we do this? How do we take the spirit, let God's word be in us and go through us? I'm glad you asked. There's a book. I have it on my bookshelf. I recommend it to any of you that would like to know more about how to personally evangelize to those that you come in contact with. It's called Questioning Evangelism. When I first read the title, I was like, Questioning Evangelism? Does that mean like, should I question evangelism? No, it's evangelism with questions. It examines Jesus' method of sharing the gospel. Our Messiah many times asked questions as he shared the good news. The woman at the well, how many husbands do you have? Or where are you going? Or what are you doing? He's asking questions and engaging where the person is. What's on their heart? What matters to them? Asking them questions draws out what's in the heart of that person. Philip asks him a question. Do you know what you are reading? 
Trinity, engage people with where they are. Philip engages the eunuch with where he is and with what he is reading. And it's amazing. He then gets an invitation to come into his chariot. It's every evangelist's greatest dream, right? He is invited into his chariot. And that also shows me there must be an invitation to speak, right? We can't just shove the gospel down people's throat. There needs to be an invitation. And when there's an invitation, grab onto it like a light vest. Run hard after it. Ask the Lord a quick prayer. Help me. I've told you lots of stories about my personal evangelism, and I won't get into a long one here. But I was stuck with this, not stuck, but I was stuck for a moment witnessing to this Orthodox Jew in Barnes and Noble by the uh, 9-11 memorial. And he'd asked me this like really difficult question about the objections of Jesus, the Messiah and the Shabbat. And do I keep the law and yada, 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 yada. And I remember just saying, Lord, you've got to help me. And like lightning came the answer that he needed. He was dumbfounded. He was shocked. He was, he had no words. And I left him. I was like, you go think about that now. Let it bug you like a pebble in the shoe. You know, you got to get it out. That's what Jewish people take a long time to come to faith. They have lots of objections that they need to hurdle over. Be supernaturally natural, right? Some things to do and then some things not to do. Don't be weird, right? Don't be weird. <laughs> Look for natural segues in your conversations with people to turn the conversation towards the gospel. Here, Philip didn't have to do any of that stuff. I mean, it was laid out for him, wasn't it? There was the guy reading the gospel according to the Old Testament. He engaged him. What are you reading? Do you understand? How do I understand unless someone tells me? And he's reading Isaiah 53, a beautiful prophecy of the Messiah. Isaiah 53, 1 through 3 tells us these things. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was rejected by Israel. Isaiah 53, 4 through 12 says he bears the sins of Israel. Although he himself is not guilty, verse 9, he also suffered voluntarily, verse 12. The eunuch asked Philip, who is this speaking of, himself or someone else? The official's confusion is understandable. The eunuch is confused. But Philip's exposition is correct. Verse 34. This verse is like a soft, all slow pitch. And whom does this prophet speak? He gives him an open door to share the gospel. As we close, Esther chapter 4, verse 12 through 14 says this. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you are alone. Of all the Jews, for all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Back to the story of Charles, Charles Blondin. As we remember, 
he asked his audience, do you believe I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow? Of course, the crowd shouted. Yes, we believe. It was then that Bolden posed the question, who will get into the wheelbarrow? The story goes, of course, no one did. My question for you this morning is, are you willing, if God asked you to get into the wheelbarrow, would you be willing? Are you willing to get into that wheelbarrow? Listen for his voice. Be led by his spirit. And you will have an opportunity to be a light for Jesus in this dark world. Get in the wheelbarrow and let God take you on an adventure for his kingdom and his glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful narrative story that you have put before us. So clear, so vivid, so simple of being a person, a man and woman that listens to your voice, a person that listens and responds in humility and obedience and is led by you and then looks for the opportunity to be a light, to preach the good news of the gospel of peace to those that so desperately need us. Lord, fill us with your spirit afresh. Use us today. May we listen, may we be led, and may we be a light for you by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, I trust that you have been not only encouraged, but challenged today. Challenged uh, to listen, actively be listening to the Lord, to allow yourselves to be led. Not always easy, right? We want to do it our own way. And then if you do, you will be a light for the Lord in your home, your workplace, and your community. We're going to conclude our time together around the Lord's table as Scott mentioned at the beginning of his message, the different feasts mentioned in Leviticus 23, I believe it was, and we know some of them. One of the, the ones we're probably most familiar with is the Passover. And it was during the Passover celebrations, that Last Supper, that Jesus instituted what we call communion, or the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread. And Jesus told his disciples that this was based on a new covenant in his blood, and he was preparing them for what was about to take place, his uh, death and sacrifice on our behalf. And when Jesus did, he was doing so in the midst of the Passover meal. And so he took bread and he broke it, and he passed it around to his friends, his disciples. And he told them that that bread represented his body that was given for them. And then he took the cup after the meal, and he passed that around. He said that that cup represented a new covenant in his blood, which he was about to shed on their behalf. And then he told them that we are to do this as often as we gather. And Paul recounts that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so in a moment, you're going to hear the music play, which 
gives us a moment to pause and a moment of reflection. A moment to pause and reflect on what the sacrifice of Jesus Christ means to us. But you know, after we do this, and we will stand and pray, we have the opportunity to continue to gather in remembrance, but also in celebration around a meal. Being the first Sunday of the month, we conclude our worship service with communion, but then we get to linger and to stay and enjoy a meal together. So please, everyone, please be welcome to stay and enjoy a meal afterwards. Because, you know, it's what the early church did. They had their big agape feast, and as a part of their feast and celebration of new life in Christ, they took a moment or two to reflect on what it cost Jesus. Remember the gospel, the good news, speaks of the gift of salvation which is free to us. We simply receive it by faith, but it cost Jesus everything. That's what we remember during the communion, the Lord's table. So I'm going to pray for the bread and the cup, and then you're going to hear the music play, and as you feel led, and there's no rush to do it, spend some time with the Lord, reflecting on where you are and where you stand with him, because the scripture says that whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. Take a moment to examine yourself before the Lord. And when you're led, you can come up to either the table in front or the one on the back side by the doors and take the elements, take the cup, take a piece of bread, return to your chair. When everybody has done so, I will lead us in the taking of the elements together. Let me pray. Father, as we conclude our time together around your table, may we reflect well on all that you suffered through, that you did it on our behalf. I can only imagine what it was like, Lord Jesus, that night during that last supper, the last pass your friends and family, looking down, looking down at the Pesach lamb, knowing that you were that perfect lamb, the lamb of God to take away the sins of the whole world, and what you were about to experience and endure for me and for all of us here. May we think on those things now, and bless us now as we then take the cup and the bread together, remembering your body and your blood given for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
the word says that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said these words, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat together, church, in remembrance of Jesus. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together in remembrance of him. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father God, we have been reminded today in your powerful word the importance of proclaiming the truth. In whatever situation you lead us into, to whomever gives us invitation to proclaim, may we be willing and ready to do that to always be ready to give an account of the hope that is within us. For you alone, Jesus, bring hope. But may we be found proclaiming that good news. That as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup together in remembrance of you, we proclaim your death, Lord Jesus, until you return. Jesus Return to us, your church. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until you do, may we be found proclaiming and remembering, remembering what you have done for us. And as we remember, we will rejoice and say thank you. We say thank you in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Church, enjoy some fellowship. Give the team a few minutes to bring out the food and stay and enjoy yourselves in the name of the Lord Jesus.
Let's free.